I came here to the street. Um, Floyd just prayed for me as being a man of the word and prayer, but actually that's who we are as a church community. So you are all welcome here today to the street if this is your first time welcome. But we are a church that believes that the Bible is God's word. It teaches us about how to live. But not only that, we get to pray and talk to God and we get his Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us. And as a church, we do that together as his family. So that's not just me, that's us as a whole church community, and there's a lot of people here like that as well. That wasn't the start of my sermon, but that just is. Um, uh, my name's Dave. Who here likes movies? Anybody? Me? Not so much. Um, one of my wife's great frustrations is the idea of going on a date to the movies is not my idea of a great date at all. But... Sometimes I watch movies and sometimes they're memorable. Recently we were re-watching a movie and because I'm a little bit selfish, it was a movie that I enjoyed and one of the characters said this. He said, fear, fear leads to the dark side. Fear leads to <laughs> anger, anger to hatred and hatred to suffering. Who recognises that speaker? Anybody want to call it out for me? Yoda it is. Yes, Yoda it is. That's right. With wisdom from today's secular culture. And often if you go on the internet and you search Yoda quotes, this will pop up. And fear leads to anger, leads to hatred, and hatred leads to suffering. And this is, of course, actually a lie. It's something that is not true. And it is something that appeals to our postmodern spirituality, but it is fundamentally untrue. It is one of the devil's great lies to our society today. Um, we are teaching through First Peter. Like I said before, we're a church that believes in the Bible, and so we teach systematically through chapters, uh, through through books of the Bible. And Jenny started us off in uh, one Peter, looking at. Um, how there's so many things going on in our society that are counter to God's values, the way that he thinks, that condemns us as a church for suggesting that selfishness is wrong, that being self-centred is actually an incorrect outlook for a satisfying and a fulfilled life, that there are right and wrong that are objectively separate from our own selfish desires that the pursuit of my own desires and personal gratification are not what I'm put on this earth for. The truth is, as the church, we believe that Jesus came to save us, that he came and he died for our own selfishness, and he paid the price that we were unable to pay for ourselves. And when we recognise that when we follow the drive of our desires, that it leads us to places where we get stuck and we are in futility and hopelessness. When we decide that we need Jesus' sacrifice on our and to pay the price for us, then we get to instead be separate, instead of being separated from God eternally, we get to become citizens of God's eternal kingdom. And that kingdom broke through when Jesus died on the cross. That kingdom came and dwells in each and every one of us when we said, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Saviour. Please take the burden on the cross that you took. Take my sin and make it yours. And he gives us in his place his righteousness. 
As we saw last week in chapter 2, if you were here last week, we had the picture of Jesus being the living stone that God appointed to build his kingdom upon and that we get a chance to become living stones in God's house. Last week, Matt, at the start of chapter 2, helped us reflect on a whole bunch of pictures about promises that God had given us, that we were his chosen people, that we were a royal priesthood, that we were a beloved son or daughter. I wonder if this week you've been thinking on any of those pictures. Um, This week, actually, probably for the last two months, I've been practicing um, a suggestion that Tom Field gave me, which was just read and reread and reread the letter. And so I was doing that because I was speaking today, but each time I would reread the letter, and the, in particular the passage that we're going to look at today, I got a new insight. Now, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to share all of my new insights that I've got today. My wife has persuaded me that a better path is just to have one particular point to make. But I would encourage you to take the time yourself to read the passages that we're learning as a, as a community and just pray Samuel's prayer, Lord, speak, your servant is listening, and see what he will have pop out to you. When we read the Bible, when we read the New Testament, we should expect to be reminded of the stories that are in the Gospels, or maybe stories from the Old Testament that remind us of the truth of what God has done and what he stored for us in the scriptures. God is always revealing more and more of himself through the scriptures. And so I'd encourage you all to just look afresh to this passage. And in fact, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I read all of the verses today so that that gets an opportunity to speak to you because God will speak to you through that. Hang on, you're a little bit ahead of me. (laughs) But before we do that, I'd just like to pray. Father God, I thank you that you call each and every one of us as your son and daughter. I thank you that you provide for us. You provide for us a community. You provide for us your Holy Spirit to reveal things. And Lord, we just invite you into our time now in our conversation. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, 2 Peter, 1 Peter verses 2, 2 verse 11 to 37. So, let's go. Dear friends, literally that is beloved. So Peter is calling us beloved of God. He's doubling down on God's love for us that we are a chosen nation. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now, that is kind of crazy speaking, but we're supposed to remember there that we're no longer Jews nor Greeks, Roman citizens or Scythians, slaves or freedmen, that we are foreigners and exiles. Why? Because we are citizens of God's kingdom of heaven. And we're now living in this world as foreigners and exiles because we are now part of God's kingdom, a part of his family. I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Um, as we go through this passage, passage, hopefully you'll notice that the word good appears lots of times. <clears throat> Submit yourselves to the, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor 
as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do evil and commend those who do good. It's really important when, we'll just pause there, thank you, really important when we read the read scriptures like this that we go, this needs to make sense with the whole of the Bible. And so we can't go, oh, this tells us that we just have to obey whatever the laws of the land or the rulers tell us to do. Because a superficial reading of that would say that. But Jesus said in Matthew 22, he said, and this is actually an important principle when we come to reading the Bible, it's always important to go, when I read a passage like this that's written by one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, that it needs to fit in with what Jesus taught us as well. So Jesus in Matthew 22 said, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. And in that story, Jesus was talking about paying taxes, and there was a coin that had Caesar's image. And so the money and the taxes was paid to Caesar. But what bore God's image is us, male female created in his image and we are supposed to be his and we get to we were created by God and for God and to dwell with him in paradise and so here when we read this verse we need to be really careful and see that God only appoints governors to punish those who do evil not according to the laws of the land but according to God's definition of what's right and wrong, and to commend those who do good, again, according to what God calls good. He doesn't give them authority to change what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. He only appoints them to affirm what is good and what is right and what is wrong. And they're only good rulers in as far as they do that under God's authority. So in verse 13, we are encouraged to support the structures in our society that affirm good and condemn evil. And we need to live in a way that shows that, carrying on. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That we live as free people, but do not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. That we should live as God's slaves. So instead of being slaves to our passions and our desires, we should live as God's slave. Now that's a, quite a loaded word in today's modern society because slavery is tantamount to something that's beyond the pale. But we might come back to slavery in a little bit. Um, carrying on. <clears throat> Show proper respect to everyone. Literally honour all. Love the family of believers. Fear God honour, show respect to the emperor. Slaves. Now, to make this verse more relevant to yourself, you might view yourself as you could choose to put instead of place of slaves, perhaps employees or someone who has sold their labour, contractors, you've entered into a contract. You could put it into when you're oppressed to the oppressed or prisoners. In reverence, fear, to God. Submit yourselves to masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under pain, the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. I just want to repeat that. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of 
unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it a credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? Note here, Paul is making a distinction. Paul, why did I say Paul? This is Peter. It's in the title of the letter. Peter doesn't write much. Paul writes way more. Paul would agree with them in this, that we should be punished for the wrong that we do. That's what he says in Romans, for we all stand condemned in our own sinfulness. But Peter is saying here, of course, when you do something wrong, we should deserve punishment. If I'm a slave and I do something wrong and I receive a beating, that's not to my credit. That's what's due to me. But there is suffering that occurs not because of my fault, because of other circumstances. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Other translations translate that word commendable or pleasant thing in the sight of God, and pleasant in the sense that it's in God's pleasure. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We'll come back to these verses. But Peter now switches up, because he's been laying the heavy. If you've, if you've been like me, maybe you're feeling a little bit heavy of this passage, that we're called to suffer just like Jesus suffered. And so Peter turns now, and he quotes the prophet Isaiah, who was writing about 700 years before this time. And in that Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, there's a section which we call now the suffering servant section, chapters 40 to 60, where it talks about, prophesies about Jesus. And it says, He committed no sin, the suffering servant, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus committed no sin. He did nothing wrong, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And again, quoting from Isaiah, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This is such a glorious promise that Jesus was perfect. He was sinless and he bore offence. He bore our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. I don't know today, at times in my life, I've been crushed by the things that I've done wrong. I feel guilt. And the only way I can cope with that and carry on is by accepting that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for me. And I have found healing by his wounds. For we were like sheep who had gone astray. We were lost, but now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the passage continues. So now he pauses from Jesus and gives specific instruction for specific people. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see purity, the purity and reverence of your lives. 
Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading, beautiful and gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, consider your lives with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayers. Now, some of you might be going, okay, this is going to be very interesting, but unfortunately I'm not going to focus in on slaves and who is a slave and who isn't a slave. I'm also not going to focus in on the the different advice that Peter has given here to husband and wives, because like I said with that earlier verse, with a superficial reading, it can sound offensive and wrong in a modern world when we're thinking with our modern thoughts. But part of this is a corruption of our modern thinking, that it doesn't think that the ways of God are beyond our ways, that the pinnacle of understanding is not human understanding. But some of this needs, we also need some understanding of first century social structures. And I only have one observation to make about these verses. In verses one to five, Peter is not giving advice to husbands on how to correct and rebuke their wives. Nor is he in chapter 2 when he addresses slaves telling masters the expectations that they should have to slaves. Paul is exhorting people in all of their circumstances to submit, to make unjust sacrifices for the sake of the other for the sake of the gospel. And that is our calling. Regardless of the affliction, Jesus as our example, the rejection, the persecution, the striking on the face, the slander, maybe there is spitting in your face, maybe there is rejection and people walking away from you. This is our higher calling, to show the love of God that reveals the depths of God's love for his creation. He is a God of grace and of mercy. And that is something that our society finds really offensive. The idea that we should lie down and submit to show love to others instead of standing up and insist on our rights. And that is the heart of today's passage in verse 20 and 22. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious or commendable thing in God's sight. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example that you should follow in his steps. Just leave that up because that's what I want us to meditate upon for the rest of this time. Let us reflect on the example that Christ has left for us. Who, and we see this in Philippians 2, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He laid down his divinity and accepted frail humanity 
He took on the temptation and the suffering that has resulted since the beginning of time when the humans first sinned. John's gospel is abundantly clear. John starts his gospel, in the beginning the word was with God and is God. Jesus is that word who is eternally present from the beginning of creation. He is fully God and he has come in the meek and mild form of a baby. He came and was born to nobody of note. He did not then rise up and build great armies and take over the world like Alexander the Great. Instead, he came as the suffering servant, as the one that was afflicted. He came in the lyrics of the song that we sang before as the lamb, the lamb that was slain, that paid the price that we could not pay for ourselves. He, despite the fact that he is the leader of the hosts of heaven and he has armies of angels that he could call down, instead allowed himself to be beaten and hung up on the cross. He comes and lives fully righteous. He was the one who committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth, but by his stripes we have been healed. Confronted time and time again by the sin of others, he greets them and he says, I don't condemn you. He joins us in our frail humanity, knowing temptation, as it says in Hebrews, knowing temptation and yet offering grace and mercy, forgiveness, hope, joy and peace. That's what he's done for us. And that's our calling. That's what God's made us for. That's what gives us meaning and purpose. At the start, I called Yoda's quote a great lie from the devil because the ultimate evil is not suffering. It doesn't matter what progression, how bad you think the dark side is or how bad you don't think it is. Hate leading to suffering. Suffering is not the end. It's not the ultimate evil. We see at the heart of the gospel is a God, a saviour, who suffered for us to make a way for something that was otherwise impossible. Unjust suffering is not the worst thing that we can experience. This is our calling that is a gracious thing that we can do in the sight of God. It is something that allows God to respond, okay, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. This gospel, this good news, is not easy. It's hard. It's hard. But it leads to real relationships. It leads to meaningful purpose. It leads to freedom. It leads to hope. It leads to joy. It leads to authentic relationship, not only with God, but with others, with those who we suffer with and suffer on the behalf of. I know, I know from talking to people, some of you I've only just met, some of you I've known for a long time. I know some of you have been suffering lots recently. And it does hurt and might be suffering today. And I know that I don't know about all the suffering because we tend to keep that private. 
okay? You might be suffering in relationships. Maybe the verses that we had before about slaves, you resonated with you and you thought, actually, that's exactly my circumstance and work at the moment. Maybe you are try, tried to care for someone recently and they maybe figuratively or literally spat in your face over that. And maybe you offered someone some grace and mercy and they mocked you for your weakness. And now you're hurting because you made yourself vulnerable and being vulnerable hurts. In my recent struggles, I've been greatly encouraged by this verse because it says if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. Now we have a God who is an anchor that we can cling on to and endure with and through. Not because of our own righteousness, but because of his righteousness. God looks down on you with pride. He sees you as his good and faithful servant. We were designed to join God in what he is doing. And ever since Adam and Eve and the first sin and death and affliction came into the world, he has been working to reconcile all of creation to him. And that is broken through with Jesus on the cross, and that is coming when Jesus comes again in glory. And that is so exciting for me. In fact, I was blown away in verse 12 when it said, when you are, if, when people, because of what you are doing and doing good, that on the day of visitation they may glorify God. So what he's saying here is that if by doing good and someone initially mocks you, but on the day of visitation, so that's the day of judgment when Jesus comes again in glory, they glorify God. You might not get to see the fruit of your witness here and now or in this life, but you will get to see it. You might even get to see it on the day of judgment. And I'm quite excited by that idea that I'm going to be standing there and someone's going to go, oh, there was a God, and this person who was doing these kind things because there is a God is now going to glorify God, and they are going to come and be with him in eternity, that our willingness to do good will allow people to be saved. And that is really good. The greatest of evils is for us to abandon those who don't know God, who have turned their backs on God and let them walk away from him. Let them go to eternal condemnation and suffering and torment. So, maybe today you're going, it's all right, Dave. I understand what you're saying. I understand it on an intellectual level when I agree with you intellectually. But maybe you're like me, and I've certainly been in this place over the last 12 months, that you're struggling to recognize God's love for you in your struggle. And you go, you know what? I have been rejected by this person and it hurts. And I just can't figure out a way through. Now, before I get to what we could do about that, I just want to share an example of this evangelism that we get through our suffering. When I was at university, I had a flat, there was three of us, and one of the things I did at university was I led a youth group. 
And it was every Friday night, and I would go and pick people up and take them to youth group and drive the van. It was all of my Friday nights, every Friday night. And to be honest, sometimes I would come home tired and frustrated. And both of my flatmates got to see me as a busy person when I'm not very good at being busy, and as a tired and frustrated person. And one night after I got home, one of my flatmates said to me, I don't understand why you do this, because you're clearly not enjoying it. You're clearly missing out on things. You have not ever committed to go out with me on a Friday night, despite the things I've invited you to. This is your prior engagement, and I don't understand why you don't prioritise other things. So why? Now, the why was because Jesus, and because of the sense of calling that I had to do that work. I had talked and I had prayed with people at my church and they had agreed that that was my role for that time. And so I was working out my calling in that time. And I didn't have very good answers to him then. But he was a good friend to me and we would often have more reasoned conversations. But it was only in that conversation that I got to speak to him the gospel truth that it's better to sacrifice and give rather than receive. Now, five years later, he contacted me from Scotland and let me know that he and his wife were now going to church. And I was the only person in his life at the time who was a regular Christian. And I believe quite strongly that it was my testimony, not through my words, but through my sacrifice, that reminded him of how much God loves him. And we can see that time and time again. God was gracious enough to let me see the fruit of that sacrifice in that relationship. But maybe you're in a place where you haven't seen the fruit of your sacrifice. All you have is the harvest of tears at the moment. We need to persevere. See, it says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. We need to persevere. And the key to persevering, Peter has actually placed for us earlier in the chapter. And this is where I want to land for us today. In verse 17, Peter says, it says, honour or respect the emperor, but love the family of believers. We're meant to respect everyone, but we're supposed to show genuine love to each other. Our brothers and sisters, to our brothers and sisters who are meeting up and down this country in churches. Jesus said to his disciples on the night before he died on the cross, love one another. We saw earlier in the year when we were looking at Acts, how the early church was described as radically different because of their love for one another and the care they showed towards each other. And that was a radical witness. And that is actually our radical witness to an unbelieving world. Have a look around you now. Look to your left and right. Turn around and look at the back, people at the front. Look at the faces that are turning around and looking at you. These are your brothers and sisters. These are other people who have been adopted into the family of God. We are together his children. You might have struggles that you're struggling with that a brother or sister can journey you with with you in. 
I know Fee Conway shared a few weeks back about a friend that she was journeying with. And as brothers and sisters, we get the opportunity to love one another deeply, richly, sacrificially. And that will be our ultimate witness to an unbelieving world. That we offer love that is sacrificial, that is gold, that is tested beyond the trials of fire. Maybe your suffering is a child who's causing you grief because of the mistakes they've made and they are making more mistakes and they're mucking up their life. Maybe at your workplace there's a constant derision of Christian values. The idea that you should do good things for other people because that's the right way to live. And you're wanting to speak up but afraid. Maybe you have been wronged in a business deal, defrauded and you are now facing financial ruin. Maybe you feel a heart for reaching the lost, but you have been burnt when you started working for the church before. Or you have damaged relationships and been betrayed by other people who were Christians. And I'm saying to you today, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a commendable thing, but you are not suffering alone. God has placed you with brothers and sisters today. Please don't carry your burdens alone. Here we have brothers and sisters who are journeying with you. We are all working out our salvation. We are all fearfully trembling before God. We need to show love to one another. So I'm just going to ask us to pause and reflect. Maybe today you don't need to be um, helped in your suffering, but maybe today you could be Jesus for one of your brothers and sisters here and offer them comfort in their suffering. Father, you know us. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know our actions that come from selfish motives. You know our actions that come from righteous motives. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and good, that you give us brothers and sisters to journey with us. Lord, look at our hearts. And I pray today that you would embolden us. Give me the right person to talk to now after church during our conversations. Give me the right person. Lord, I pray for words of encouragement to come forth from our community, for one, for another. Lord, I pray for words that would bring life, that would bring freedom, that would bring comfort. I pray for those who are suffering now, Lord, that they would have the boldness Lord, that they will be strong and courageous and reach out and ask for the help. Lord, I pray that as we go today that we will be filled with your love and that the world around us would know that we are your children by our love for one another and our love that you've placed in our hearts. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is our calling as followers of Jesus. And Jesus has suffered for us. 
and he calls us to follow in his steps. It's the only fulfilling life there is. It is the ultimate fulfilling of life to be like Jesus. Thank you.